We're going to look at John chapter 2 this morning. It's an incredible story of the wine, the miracle of wine. And we're going to look at that in a prophetic aspect. John chapter 2, let's just read it here. I'm going to read the first 11 verses and we're going to pick it apart. Uh, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That is not the way we would speak to ladies today, but in the Greek there, that was a very respectful term that they used in the Greek. He was actually being very respectful. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purifications of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out some now, and take it to the master of the feast. There was like a master of ceremonies. He wasn't like the bridegroom. It was like someone else. And they took it, and when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then they're inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Some translations say they put their faith in him. Just a little quick note. It was roughly between 150 and 180 gallons. Those stone jars, six of them would contain 20 to 30 gallons. So... A little bit of math, just for fun, really, as to how many modern-day bottles of wine did Jesus turn water into? Take a guess. Shout it out. Lots. That's (laughs) how many? Between seven to nine hundred. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So we're going to look at something a little bit. It was between 150 and 180 gallons of wine. But first it says, on the third day, it's interesting, you know, I've always said the Bible doesn't waste words, right? Just doesn't. In the Mishnah, which is like a Hebrew, it's in the Talmud, it's the oral traditions of rabbinic literature, a virgin would get married on the fourth day and a widow on the fifth day, and there were many reasons for that. So this is very unusual that a person's getting married on the third day. It's because, friends, it's pointing to something. The Bible starts with a wedding that God officiates. The Bible ends with a wedding that God officiates. It bookends the Scripture, two weddings. It's God's idea. Jesus starts His earthly ministry with a wedding. And it's because of what He did on the third day when He rose again that makes that wedding possible. It's pointing, everything here is pointing that He's coming again. It's pointing also to when he would rise again on the third day because he hadn't risen yet. This is, even though this is New Testament, it's Old Covenant, he hadn't died. It's pointing to something. It was very, very unusual that that would happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this in a prophetic sense. Now, I've said many times, we're going to do a lot of upfront work, if that's okay. We're going to do a lot of like study. Can we do some study today? All right, we're going to do some study, and then we're going to have a few cool things at the end that, that are very practical and applicable. But I've always said that in the Old Testament, the natural and the new, the spiritual. 
you know, we read the Old Testament with New Testament lenses. You know, it was a physical kingdom, spiritual kingdom. Physical tabernacle as a shadow, a copy, a type of something else. Everything was like that. Even Jesus' parables, often he talks about trees and seeds, and you're a tree. It's all symbolism. And so this being in the New Testament, but before he died, there's a lot of symbolism here that obviously it first means, the Bible first simply just means what it says. We can never get away from that. That's obvious. But there's a lot of things in here that I want to look at. And it actually came from, I don't know, 2005, I think it was. I was on vacation with my parents. And, um, and uh, I picked up my dad's Bible. I was going through a rough time. And I picked up my, my dad's Bible. You know, when you're young in the Lord, you think, well, maybe if I read his Bible, you know, maybe... <laughs> You know, we do strange things. And I picked up my dad's Bible. It was early in the morning. It was nowhere in Canaan Valley, West Virginia. And I opened the Bible, and I started to read John. And I got to John chapter 2. And the NIV, it's, it's the one time I think it says it well. And I got to this John chapter 2, and there was one section underlined in his Bible. And I don't even know if he's ever preached on it, ever. And it, it says there what Mary said, when the wine was gone, and he underlined it. And that went right through my being. For the next few years, I, I started to look to this text. as what do we do when the wine of God is gone in our life? His presence is gone. And it's interesting when you look at it through that text. So we're going to get a little bit into some study. Uh, first, we're going to look at wine. What does wine, new wine signify? The staples of the Christian diet and the seasonal reigns of God. We're going to look at those three things. So, new wine in the Bible actually talks of, it has to do with the Holy Spirit. And I know this obviously physical wine, but it has to do with the Spirit of God moving on the earth, in a person, upon a church, upon a nation, or whatever it may be. In Acts chapter 2, the people referenced the work of the Holy Spirit when He came down on the earth. They said, these people are filled with new wine. They were actually right, spiritually, but they were saying they were drunk. Think about that for more than one second. I've seen many drunk people. Think about it. God was moving so demonstratively on people, they looked drunk. What happens when sometimes in certain cultures, especially like in European cultures, when people really drink a lot, they start to sing? Yeah? They say brandy makes you brave. They start to sing, and they start to do stuff. It's very interesting. The inhibitions leave. In Ephesians 5, it says to not be drunk with wine, which is obviously physical. So there's the scripture for those of you who think I'm saying that. Okay, I'm not. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The next thing that it says after that, the very next words, and speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Start to sing. <laughs> very similar to what people do in the natural. And then Luke 5, new wine has to be put into new wineskins. God wanted to do a new thing. And Jesus taught that there's something coming. There's a, there's a, a wineskin was a goatskin, it was leather, and it had to be supple and movable so that when new wine would come in, if it wasn't, if it was exposed to sunlight or just left, just kind of left, it would crack and hard and the wine, the acid would split the thing and the wine would be spilt and the wineskin ruined. The people of God ruined and the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God wasted. It's actually a tragic verse. So the wine in the Scripture, the new wine, speaks about the moving, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. 
And I know many of you here, if you've been a seasoned believer, you know that. But I felt in my heart the Lord said, there's many in this new generation who actually don't know some of this. And some of us have had this language in our, in our hearts for long. But, it, you know, we throw terms around that other people don't always know. And the new wine has to do with the Holy Spirit. You can also call just the presence of God. Now, can we go a little deeper? Let's go to Psalm 104, verse 14 to 15. And it says this. I'm going to try and move fast through this. Psalm 104, verse 14 to 15. He causes the grass, he being God, to grow for cattle and the vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. It's a fascinating verse. Wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens the man's heart. What does oil stand for? What is oil? Shout it out, Jess. Anointing. What is bread? The Word of God. Okay. In the Old Testament, in the natural, wine, bread, and oil, you'll often find them all through the Scripture said together. They were staples, absolute staples of an Israelite's life. Every single day they used those three things. Wine, bread, and oil. Standard across the board. The three staples of the Christian life, wine stands for fellowship, the move of God's spirit, fellowship, presence of God upon a person, spirit to spirit. You with me? Oil, to make his face shine. What is anointing? It's the enabling of God upon a person. An anointing, you get it, they were anointed to do something. They were appointed. The supernatural enablement of God comes upon a person to enable them to do what they could not do without it. That's the anointing. And it can come very practically on a person, even in the person's world. Very practical. And then you get bread, which is the Word of God. Now, it's interesting the Bible says it's the oil that makes your face shine. Because it will be restricted by flesh. And when flesh begins to die, when the old man begins to die, the light of God can shine forth, which is your gifts and your call. That's what the oil does. Are you with me? The bread, the Word of God. That's the basis that says, which makes man's heart strong. Strong. You can have the other two, but without the bread, you have nothing. Makes man's heart strong. And then obviously wine, which makes man's heart glad, which is joy. It's interesting that the Bible says, in my presence is fullness of joy. Wine which makes glad. My presence is fullness of joy. Okay, in Acts chapter 2, we all know the verse when he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You know the verse? In Acts chapter 2, quoting Joel chapter 2. Just before the book of Joel in chapter 2 says that part that they quote in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes. Just before that, it says this in Joel chapter 2, verse 23 to 24. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. He has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat. What's that? Bread, right? The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Bread, wine, and oil. Now, 
We're almost done with our study. You guys good with the study still? Great. Bread, wine, and oil. The former rain and the latter rain. The former rain actually was something that would come in the pre-season and you know, do something to the ground, make it soft so that it would be easy to plant the seed. The Bible says he brings the former rain faithfully, faithfully, faithfully. He will do it again and again and again. Why? Because in Mark 4, Jesus says, often the seed is stolen. And so he comes again and he makes the, your heart soft. So he can put a seed in your heart so that it can bear fruit in a coming season. That's the former rain. Then in spring, the latter rains would come. And this in the Bible talks about the move of God's Spirit that's coming towards the end. The wine that is at the end is always the best wine. That's what we read in John 2. That's all through the Scripture. The wine that's at the end, that's the good stuff. So the latter rain would come, and it would so drench the soil that the seed would swell. And that way it would absorb, it would break open and die and be burst forth into destiny, would become the plant of whatever it is supposed to be. And it's exactly the same with us. God puts a seed in our heart, and some part of us sometimes has to die. Something has to die. Bible even says it, unless a seed dies, it will bring forth no fruit. That's its purpose. And sometimes we feel like you're dying inside. But then the latter rain comes and the stuff starts to come out the ground. The presence of God waters your heart. Stuff starts to come out the ground. Very practical things. Are you with me? But what's the point? The rain of God brings what? Bread, wine, and oil. Strong on the word. The move of God's spirit to become accustomed to the presence of God and to learn your identity in a sense. Who God has anointed, appointed you to actually be. And that comes from his reign, and he will faithfully bring it over and over and over. He really is very good. So what do we do? What do we do? How does this apply to us? What's the date? October 21st. How does this apply to us on October 21st, 2018? Clay, that's a great study. I'm amazed. But what do I do with it? What do you do when the wine is gone? I wrote it like this. Lord, I've become a ritual Christian. The love has grown cold. The heart that used to beat for you has become confused or hurt. The wine, Lord, is gone. The joy is gone. Who knows what I'm talking about? Let's be, everyone should raise their hand. The rest of you, we have deliverance for afterwards. The wine is gone. The joy is gone. It's become something that I never wanted it to become, Lord. I'm confused. I'm hurt. The wine is gone. So what do we do when the wine is gone? Well, there's a description here in John chapter 2. First thing that'll happen is we see this deep concern actually in Mary's heart. In the NIV, the wine is gone. She came to him, she said, Jesus, they have no wine. We don't understand what it was like in the shame and honor of society. Shame would have come to the family in a very, very big way. And shame is like a bad credit score. It's hard to shake in that culture. It's just hard to shake. And it would have actually stigmatized in a sense. It would have been on that family, but also on this newlywed couple. They would have carried that shame through their marriage. Mary, concerned mother, she sees what's about to happen. She can see where this is going. It's not going anywhere good. So she goes to Jesus. Friends, when the joy 
and the presence of God has gone out of your life, has gone out of your heart. We often get guilty and the enemy will jump on that and beat us with our own words. And it'll often start with a deep concern, with a troubling in your heart. Lord, why? There's a troubling. There's even a concern. It comes to, something comes to make you uncomfortable. Yeah? yeah. Who knows? Yeah. You know. Some of you know. It makes you uncomfortable. And sometimes it's for others. Sometimes it's the state of the church. I've had that before. Sometimes it's... Sometimes I look at the state of the church and I just weep. Lord, people don't know who you are. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes it's your marriage, your family. But the presence in your... Something is wrong. Something's gone. And so God begins to put a concern just like he did. Friends, if... If it's for you, know this. If the concern has to do with your heart and your relationship with the Lord, know this. The Bible very clearly says he will bring the former rain faithfully. You just begin to ask him practically. I'm trying to be practical. You ask him literally, Lord, soften my heart. Bring that former rain to soften my insight, soften my heart so I can receive the seed again. You cannot soften your heart. Did you know that? You cannot. I've tried many times. You cannot. God's reign begins to soften your heart, and you begin to be open to things you weren't open to before. You begin to think differently. Something comes and rests in your heart, and it often starts with a concern, an uncomfortable feeling, a wrestling. Why is this happening? Why? Jesus, the wine is gone. That's what happens. If it's for others, let me encourage you. Do not become the morality police for them. You are not the Holy Spirit. You are not. Mary had the right reaction. Run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know someone who is in need. It's fascinating to me, friends, that this whole story is here because of someone who had a close relationship with Jesus. Nothing would have happened if you didn't bring her concern to the Lord. Someone has a close relationship with Jesus, and that's why the story is here. Someone actually knows him, person to person, presence to presence, spirit to spirit. And because of that relationship, that real relationship, something changed for somebody else. All through history, I've, I've looked at all the moves of God and I've studied them. Someone prayed somewhere. It's always the case. Someone became uncomfortable and got in their knees, sometimes for a long time, sometimes groups of people. Someone's relationship changed something. What is, what is next? I preached this many years ago, and John Hart said, after this next point I made, he said, you should have just read that point and sat down. Because <laughs> it's like it pretty much is everything. What else? He says, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says, do that. Whatever he says, do that. Well, before Francois came, we were on, my sheep hear my voice. Whatever he says, do that. And sometimes we think, oh, that'll be great. Oh, boy. Sometimes it's not fun stuff. Go and apologize, or go say this, or go do this, or give this, or... 
And sometimes what he asks us to do has nothing to do with what we're praying for in our minds, but in the spirit realm that has everything to do with it. Just do whatever he says. Whatever he says. So here practically, now this is not a model or a method. We're so linear in our thinking. We think, okay, he's gonna do, he doesn't do it like this every time, but he will do this in your life at some point. Amen. He gives them this very interesting thing. He doesn't give them some grandiose, supernatural. He tells them something practical. It's like we go to God. What do I do, God, the one? And it's like he looks around the room in your house. Uh, take that and do this because he's the Lord. And he says, oh, there's six water pots, six stone water pots. He says, go fill them up. Very briefly, explain how important that is. Six is what? The number of? Man. It is actually more important than just the number of man. God worked for six days. Six is the number of man, of man's work. It's what man can accomplish without the Lord. And it's not always bad, friends. We are called... Jars of clay. We have jars of clay in the Bible. This is not that. Jars of clay. Dwayne is a jar of clay in the, in the spirit in a sense. God molds him. God forms him. And God sometimes will allow him to go through the fire. And we think, where are you, God? But he allows him to go through the fire. Why? To harden and strengthen him so that he can become a vessel and carry something. Actually carry a person. And then you go through something and it's like God smashes that thing. He's like, oh, not big enough anymore. And he forms you again. That's jars of clay. And sometimes you have those moments where you feel like you've just been broken. God's going to form you. This is stone. Very different. This has to do with something you do. It's the work of your hands. It's six, the work of man. It can be your career. It can be, I think of my wife, how hard she works with the boys. I see some moms, it's like, they feel like, is this ever going to end? Like, is this ever going to end? And then you have another kid and you're like, well, that add five years, you know. They're going to still go to college. And, and it just is something you work at. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad. People think bad. No, it can be very good. But you work and you work and you work. And that's what it's like. And that's what the stone jars actually represent. It's not you. It's not what you carry. It's something that you do. And he says, it actually says it like this. There were six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of the Jews. What do you do when the wine is gone? They used to take this water and pour it over their hands. They wash their hands before the meal, in between every course, wash their feet, wash their vessels, the cups, everything. Why? Because they would travel there. And they had no paved roads and would get full of dust. And for us, what does that mean? It's very simple. Sometimes when that wine, that sense, it's like, Lord, it's gone. It's like he says, take these things and get the stickiness of the world off you. Amen. Sometimes it's not like a bad rebuke. It's, it's just you need to take time and set it aside. Get the dust off. Get the stuff of the world that kind of clings to you. Get it off. You with me? Sometimes that's what it, it just, we have to get it off. And I find very practically, I stop with technology. All forms of technology, I just stop for a season. It's too many voices. And the peace and the rest of God begins to come back. 
Sometimes it's a fast required. Sometimes it's hours of worship. You know, not everyone has time for that, I understand. It's different for different people. But put yourself in a place where the dust and the stuff that comes up just through living life can come off. And then something, the wine of God, the joy that gladdens the heart of man starts to come back to your life. It's not about being happy, you understand? It's peace, the joy of the Spirit. Peace, the presence in my presence is fullness of joy. And then, some of you today, I believe, feel like this. When the wine is gone, firstly, very important to understand, ask the Lord for former rain. Ask the Lord to soften your heart. Sometimes you've got to wash the world off. Sometimes it's like this. With a stone, as I said, it can be your career, something you do. Some of you have been faithful. I'm just going to read this so that it, it's easier. In a career or in a role as a parent, a wife, a husband, a mother. And it feels like up until now, this is what I felt like God said. Some people are coming like this today. It feels like up until now you have simply been poured out like a drink offering because that's how they would do it. They would pour it out. You feel like you've been poured out like a drink offering on others over and over and over and over. And you've been used to get all their dirt off, to get all their junk off, to get all their stuff off. And then you're left empty. And you say, Lord, the joy's gone. The wine's gone. I've just been poured out and poured out and poured out. You know, he doesn't say, I'll fill it back up. He says, yeah, well, first go fill the water pots. Go back to work. Love your kids. Do those things. But this time, bring it to me. Some people need to take whatever that is for you your career, your family, your children, your marriage, and give it to Him. Because when He touches something that you have done well, you've been faithful, when He touches it, it becomes something useful that can change the heart of another person. It's very, very important to bring the wine back. Lord, take my stone jars. I have kept them. I've guarded it even. I've been protective over it. Maybe it's my kids. Maybe it's my career. It's become something that I was very separate in a sense to my relationship with the Lord. But it's actually what is causing exhaustion in my life. Lord, can you take it? But friends, sometimes God will take what is to you, your six water pots of stone. I really hope this is helping. He will take these things and he will turn it into wine. He will turn it into something that doesn't wash others, but goes, wash the outside, but goes into them and changes and gl makes glad the heart. It's not something that comes on the outside. It's God will do something with what you carry, with whatever that is, your kids, your career, your marriage, and he will touch it in such a way when you give it to him, say it's actually yours. He will touch it in such a way that it's not helps people just it actually goes into them and makes glad the heart of man because it became wine which went inside. 
there's more, but we'll let it go there. Friends, I, I feel like this. Sometimes we have to help people to release their faith. Can we release our faith? Sometimes people are like, that's good, but I don't know what to do. We are called to help people release faith. There's two ways you can release faith. Words and action. That's how faith is released. What I'd like to do with the last minute and a half, I really believe with all my heart, God put this on my heart, my dad's going to be preaching next week, and it's not often that I get to just do one week. I prefer to do series, but I said, God, what do you want to do? And he put this on my heart. And it's something that I've preached before many years ago. But I believe there's different categories of people here. And I'm going to encourage you. I think there's pens, or you can find a pen or whatever. But if you're that person that's saying, God, the wine, your wine is gone. It was a deep concern for Mary. And your heart is troubled about it. God, the joy, that sense of, it's gone. Some people simply, and you'll know who you are because it'll rise up in your heart when I say it. Some people will just, they have to just simply go to the Lord and say, God, give me some form of rain. The Bible says you will bring it faithfully. Soften my heart. Soften my heart to plant a seed. Soften my heart. And it's not just a one-time thing. For maybe a week or two weeks before you go to sleep, just ask him, Lord, soften my heart. Let your rain come. And you are guarantee you things start to change. For some of you here, that's what you need to do, and we're going to do it in a moment. For some of you here, it's very simply, God says, I need time. Get the stuff of the world off of you. And it's not, and some, sometimes it's this habitual sin, you're like, oh, I'm trying so hard. It's not that. It may be. It's often just busyness or stuff that you pick up. You guys know what I'm saying? And he's saying, I need you to be at rest for a season. I tell you, friends, it'll, that peace of God begins to come back. For some of you, you need to do that. For some of you, and I suspect that there's quite a few here, you're saying, God, I feel like I've been poured out for years, and I feel empty, and I feel like I've been poured out even practically. I go to work, I come home, I go to work, I come home. I think of Guy, he gets up at four, he commutes, I don't know, feels like 20 hours. He commutes like an hour or whatever, comes home at seven. I mean, it's every day. And in this culture, that can, who knows, that can wear you down. Yeah. And it's like, Lord, I feel empty. I've been poured out and poured out and poured out. I'm asking you this morning, if that's you, can you take that stone jar, if you're in one of those three categories, Take, there's a pen in the back of the chairs, or you can write it on your phone, but you need to release your faith. You need to do something and write it down, saying, God, I give this to you. It would be helpful if you had a piece of paper or something and a tissue, whatever. Write it down. And we're going to do it in a moment and give it to God and speak it out. You have to speak. God, this is yours. Oh, God, soften my heart. Oh, God, Help me find time to wash myself clean of this stuff. Can we do that as a body? I'm going to give you a minute or two. You can stand, sit, kneel. You can do whatever you want. doesn't need to take long, but release your faith. If God, don't just do it for me. If God has jumped on your heart, friends, don't worry about the person next to you. Turn around. Do this if you have to so that they can't hear you. Release your faith.
Go ahead and do that if you can. Yeah, we thank you, Lord. I'm just going to pray, but you keep speaking to the Lord. Write it down. Ah, thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we say bring the latter rain, Lord. Bring the latter rain. Bring that which only you can do, God, that no man can do. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Your presence, Lord. Your strong, strong presence, Lord comes to make the heart of man glad because in your presence is fullness of joy and Father even as in that story when they tasted it they said they did not know where it came from Lord it's not about the response of others I know and you know and that's enough Lord we love you we love you Lord what if we could stand together for a moment even if you're still praying, you don't have to. I wonder if you could close your eyes just for one last time. It's just to help cut out distraction. And just under your breath, just speak to him. Even if you say the same thing. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says he went back a second time and he prayed the same words. Father, we release our faith this morning. And I say, Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let the wine of God come back to your people, Lord. Let your presence be known in the church again. So that just as the story says, that people will put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. That people will put their faith in you again, God. Because the presence of God has come back to the church, has come back to our hearts, has come back to our marriages, has come back to our careers and our children. Your presence in our home, your presence in my life, your presence in our cars, your presence everywhere we are, your presence. The wine of God that comes to make glad the heart of man. Let it be today, Lord. Let it be today. In Jesus' name, Lord, all these things that are written down or have been spoken. Take a hold of them, I pray, Holy Spirit. Soften the hearts. Wash the dust off. And strengthen and energize again so that the wine can come back. We love you, Lord.